All I want to do is see you turn into a giant woman. A giant woman. Yeah. Welcome to Originality, where we talk about creativity and the roots of creative genius. I am one of your hosts, Aline Sims, and I'm joined by... Kay Tempest Bradford, the incomparable... Wait, we can't use that word, can we? Oh, no! We, oh, oh. Copyright infringement. Hey, Jason Snell's gonna something shake his fist at you. He's coming for us. Yeah. Wow. The wrath of Jason and his shaking fist. Anyway, today we are doing the second of two episodes in a two part thing. We figured we'd try that and see how it goes. So let us know what you think of these two part episodes. If you'd want more of them, um, because we definitely have a lot of people we can talk to about a lot of subjects. Um, so they are a thing that can happen, but Tempest... I can go on and on, really, about <laughs> anything. Well, and it's so, so hard, so not to get, like, too behind the scenes, but one of the things um, that I'm finding a challenge with originality is trying to talk to somebody who is really interesting for like 15 to 20 minutes and then cutting it down um, into some kind of narrative, um, into a narrative that we can talk about on the show. So if people like these two-part episodes, we have some really amazing guests coming up who I would be really excited to talk to for a little bit longer to do a couple of episodes. I'll be down with that. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, I definitely don't want to do it like every every time, but every once in a while, I think it's definitely worth it. But we'll see what everybody thinks. Uh, so, Tempest, since this is part two of two of a, um, a series that we're doing about a guest that you talked with, you want to talk about her a little bit? Mm-hmm. This is our second half of the interview with S.J. Tucker, uh, who also goes by Suge. And Suge is a a musician, a singer, uh, a songwriter, and vagabond, and overall amazing person. And in the first episode, uh, we talked to her about how she got started uh, being a vagabond, um, an independent artist who makes all of her money off of her artistic endeavors, which is awesome and amazing. And, and basically what it takes to keep being able to do that and, and what she needs to make her garden stay in riotous bloom, uh, as she talks about. So that was part one. But as I mentioned at the end of part one, I really wanted to talk to her about collaboration because my first introduction to her was when I heard her play music from her CD that was basically the soundtrack to a book, which you don't see very often. Uh, and the book was uh, the first of the Orphan's Tales book, The Girl in the Garden. Um, by Catherine M. Valenti. And I love that book. I love it so much. And then I listened to Suja's music that went along with the book and it added 
Oh my goodness. Such amazing dimension to what I was hearing that uh, I fell in love almost immediately. So I want to start out this episode before uh, we talk to Suj about what, how that collaboration even began and, and what came out of it. I just want you to listen to one of the songs from this soundtrack. And it's called um, Sing for the Maidenhead. So uh, we're going to play a long excerpt from that and then we're going to get into the interview part. Sing for the Maidenhead, lass of the sea. Haven to monsters and women made free It's up Captain Tommy and up with the crew There's nothing a ship full of women won't do Sing for the fox girl, the bold and the wild Come fearsome some sea captain from stolen fox child Tommy is corrupty and Tommy is hale Fox boys are scarce, or we'd never set sail. Up to when she calls with the flick of her tail. Oh, sing for the maiden head, lass of the sea. Haven to monsters and women made free. Fair wind and fair weather, and a captain who's clever. We'll sail on forever and rob the world through. I love that song so much. <laughs> uh, and and what's interesting about the way that she put together this album is that some of the songs are about the characters or the situations uh, that happen in the book. And some of the songs are ones that you can imagine those characters singing. And that's what this is. Like, basically, this is a sea shanty. <laughs> you know, this mm-hmm. is what, you, what you're singing in the pub as you come back from your pirate adventures. And, and it goes through and talks about all the people who are on the pirate ship in, in this part of the story. And you can really like see people from this pirate ship singing this song. And I found that just wonderful and fascinating. And, and yeah, it, it just makes me really happy. I also just happen to really love that song. Uh, it makes me think of the misbehaving maidens who, um, very similar pirate themed sea shanties that are a little bit body and about feminism. Uh, so, uh, if you like the misbehaving maidens or you like Suge, uh, check out the other, because I think, uh, they seem very, uh, similar. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, uh, the orphan's tales books, it's a duology. So there's two books and a lot of these books are about awesome, women or basically it's a it's a book about women it's about all these different ways of being a woman and experiencing womanhood uh, amongst a lot of other stuff like there's just there's so many different layers of what's going on in Valenti's book and perhaps one day we will have her on this podcast to talk about that how she does that every single freaking time um and and so a lot of the songs that Suge created for this album just really emphasize that aspect of the book. Uh, this one, again, one of the reasons why I really love them. And um, it's like it, they just they get each other, which is, is made very clear. So I want to play for you um, the the part of the the interview that I did where we talked about collaboration specifically. And this is a pretty long excerpt, but I think that you're going to want to hear this entire story of how Suge and Kat Valenti came to collaborate on this album. Well, all sorts of credit should go to Kat Valenti for that ever happening in the first place, because again, with that, with that level of support for other people's creative ideas, for me, she is, she is the queen of that. And that is such a huge part of 
who we are together as friends is there's there's no denial between us of any idea that might that might spring up because of something that one of us has created she's so generous with me and i i have called her my shakespeare in interviews before because half the time for a while there anytime she wrote something new so did i and there was it was not a competitive thing at all it was just that she inspired me so and any time that that happened, she has she's always been so receptive. She has wanted to hear it immediately. She has almost always loved what, what has fallen out of my mind. Talk about talk about affirmation. Talk about friendship support right there. And it all started with her Orphan's Tales novels. We were we had just become friends. We had just met and sort of fallen into this major whirlwind of kismet with each other when she was working on her manuscript of the orphan's tales she had given me uh, a copy of her poetry collection called apocrypha the weekend that we met and i can remember very clearly getting very close to the end of reading it as i was on maybe the a train uh, under new york city and getting really concerned because I was about to be done with this book. And I'm like, well, what if, what if she disappears from my life? If I read this last poem and to this day, I have not read the last poem in that book because I am so superstitious about it. And just in a very spooky woo woo fairy tale girl way, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm this, this cannot happen. I I love her so much. I'm I'm not going to, I'm not even going to leave the possibility of that. And just a few weeks after we got back together, I told her about that and I told her how I felt about that last poem. And she said, well, if that's how it is, then here you go. And she emails me the manuscript of the first Orphan's Tales book and just lets me read it. And how generous is that? How trusting and, and giving could you possibly be? So there I am holed up in, uh, in uh, a friend's house in Rhode Island for about three days, just reading this amazing thing on my laptop and not coming out and skipping meals and just weeping uh, into the blankets of, of, of the, of the airbed because I just am so broken open by this story. So I read that first Orphan's Tales book through. And then when I saw her again, a few weeks later, we were talking about how once upon a time, someone had done a weird sort of instrumental concept album for her first novel, the one that was called The Labyrinth. And, but it, it didn't really, it didn't, there were no lyrics, so it didn't really take on the subject matter in a way that most people could grab onto because we are so focused on, on words sometimes. And she said, wouldn't it be cool if somebody did an album for the Orphan's Tales? And no, I, I swear to you, I, I went down in the basement and wrote Girl in the Garden, which was the first song that I had ever written about any of her stuff. And I came back upstairs and I played it for everyone in the house and we all just wept. And, you know, three albums and a, and a train tour later, <laughs> here we are. And I'm still writing songs about her work and loving doing it. And it has, it has changed me for the better. And it has given me more fearlessness about collaborating in ways that are outside the box and are really interstitial and awesome than I would have without it.
So I love that entire story. <laughs> and and I love how it all came about. And but the the core of it is of course, you know, her reading the work of someone that just, you know, touched her and and she was immediately like simpatico with it and immediately knew that she wanted not only more of these words in her life, but more of this person in her life. And even though there may not be a particular magic to collaboration, I feel like like if there was like, that's it. Like that's the magic when artists collaborate with each other. And I think that it's really great that that they were open enough to a collaboration that crosses genres th- that aren't normally crossed. Um, I mentioned in the very first episode uh, the, where we talked to Suj that um, I was really interested in in the fact that she had done like a soundtrack album because I'd only seen that done once before. And that was for, uh, it was a book called Lion's Blood by Stephen Barnes and Heather Alexander had done an album that was a soundtrack to that book, which, you know, added many layers to it, you know, as, as a good sort of collaboration will do, but I, you know, don't really see that like books don't really come with Mm -hmm. soundtracks. So I like that the fact that they were open to that. Um, and so it was, you know, lots of different things sort of had to fall into place to make that happen. It's, It's such a neat idea, though, because sound is so important to people in general, not necessarily everybody. But if you think about movies, you know, or TV shows and you you listen to music cues sometimes and you think that doesn't really fit what I feel like this scene should be or this doesn't um it doesn't seem like that came in at the wrong time, the right time, or you don't even notice it because it matches so well, or it's so amazing that it absolutely blows you away. There was a song, uh, Game of Thrones is p- problematic in its own right, but like the season finale last year, there was one song in that uh, in that episode that haunted me for days, and I still listen to it on repeat sometimes because it was so beautiful. Do you mean the children? Uh, it's Light of the Seven from, uh, the season six oh, okay. soundtrack. Okay. And it's yeah. like this beautiful haunting. It starts out with just piano, well, piano and strings maybe. And it's just, I don't know. It it was absolutely beautiful. And it's one of yeah. the rare times. I'm not one of those people who's, who notices the music as I'm watching typically. It's after I'll go and I'll listen and I'll be like, oh, you know, John Williams is iconic for a reason because I f- feel like he does a really good job of people being like, that was good music. Um, but that was one of those really memorable songs for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just now realizing that the, the song that I was thinking of was, was in the season finale at the end of the season finale the year before. That one is called The Children. And that's the one that starts playing when Arya gets on the ship to Bravos. Mm. And and I had that same reaction where I immediately went and found that song. So I was like, wait a minute, that was amazing. And and it was like a really effective song at that moment, you know, as the season was ending and as you see Arya going off, you know, and all the things that had led up to that. And it just, it was a song that really well punctuated that moment. Uh, the the person, or I think it's it's multiple people, but I think the main guy who does the the scoring and stuff for Game of Thrones does a really excellent job of combining music, appropriate music, with the the emotions and mm-hmm. and the 
you know, the whatever's going on on the screen. And all props to him for that. Because, yeah, Game of Thrones, you know, a lot of problematic things. I don't usually watch it a lot, but, ooh, the music. I have yeah. listened to a lot of that music. Um, another composer that I feel like does that really well is Brian Tyler. He's a film score uh, composer. He is. He does a lot of stuff... I don't know if it's like specifically for Warner Brothers, but he does, he seems to do a lot of movies that all the people who are in the Avengers are involved in. So like he did uh, one of the Avengers movies, I think Thor to Dark World, uh, several others. Um, but he came to my attention because of the the soundtrack for Now You See Me, which is not a good movie. Um, but I have, I realized like about the third or fourth time that I caught a part of that movie while I was flipping channels that the reason why I kept stopping to like watch is because the music is so compelling. Like the music is way more mm. compelling than the actual movie. Um, and I feel like the music actually makes some aspects of that movie better because it it actually like contains all the energy and the punctuation of what's going on in the moment. It makes you forget that the movie literally doesn't make any sense plot wise. <laughs> it makes no sense. It also makes you forget that you're looking at Jesse Eisenberg's face. Hmm. I haven't I need seen that. it. No, don't look at it. But it. okay, um, if you but but what's you know so and and if you want to, I'll I'll make sure this link goes in the show notes. If you want to listen to the actual score from Now You See Me, you have to go to Brian Tyler's SoundCloud because for some reason when they released the soundtrack, it was like two tracks from the score and then a bunch of things that were like inspired by and like no one needs hmm. that. But Weird. at any rate, back to collaboration. But but yeah, like yeah. that's that's a thing that. Um, you know, because we're so used to that with visual media, that there's a collaboration that goes on between what the directors is doing and the editors are doing with um, the action that has already been, you know, filmed and whatnot. And then the the person who does the score can come in and sort of add another layer to that. We're definitely used to that experience, not so used to that experience necessarily with other, well, with, with literature. And, and I think that that's partly because, you can't necessarily score somebody reading a book. Um, right. But, but then, so that, and that's not necessarily what, what Suge was even trying to do, but she was like writing stories or writing music that was inspired by what was going on. And, and it does work there. And like I said, it's, you know, some of it is songs about the characters and some of it is songs that the characters would sing. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking about, you know, the people I know or know of who have books coming out. And I'm like, I wonder what their playlists for reading this book would look like. You know, like if you could do a a blog post where, you know, like chapter one, read, you know, listen to these, like, I don't know, three or four songs and chapter two, listen to these songs. And uh, that could be interesting and really, really hard to put together. But I love, I love the idea of having this and I love having like a book and an album that go together is amazing that, that, you know, an album inspired by a book, like you don't hear about this happening and it's so neat. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of it is because I don't know, I feel like there isn't a lot of cross discipline, cross arts stuff that goes on with 
uh, literature the way it does with all the other arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something that like has sort of bugged me for a really long time because I would read magazines that are geared toward visual artists, uh, dancers, performance artists, whatever. And I would notice like all these really amazing collaborations going on between like dancers and and people who paint and they're like dancing on the canvas or they're creating like these amazing backdrops that that are meant to go with the dance not just to be sort of like decorative in the background and other interesting collaborations like that that I don't see there being a lot of emphasis on that in literature but the places where I am seeing it are all sort of in the in the genre world science fiction fantasy where I hang out the most um aside from Suge and Kat Valenti I also I've heard um, some really great collaboration between Andrea Harrison and Pan Morrigan. Uh, Pan is the musician and Andrea is the author and it helps that, you know, they're together and they live together. And so all of their, you know, artistic awesomeness sort of blends into these wonderful things where Andrea writes these book and then and Pan writes these awesome songs that sometimes go with it and they, they perform them together um, when they go touring. Like, that's really great. And um, as I said, Stephen Barnes and, and Heather Alexander many years ago. And also um, Amal Al-Motar, who is an amazing author and poet. And she often, she's also um, a musician and a singer. And she collaborates with C.S.E. Cooney, uh, who is also a musician and also an author. And they they have like these other wonderful friends who are somewhere on that spectrum of being a poet or a a fiction writer and also a musician and also this. And and they perform together sometimes. They perform separately sometimes. And it's all like this wonderful mix of like beautiful creativity. Uh, I went to... Wisconsin uh, convention, the the feminist science fiction convention that takes place in Madison, Wisconsin, at the end of May every year, and uh, I was there this past year, and, uh, and did a panel with Amal and Claire and um, Max Gladstone, who also has collaborated with Amal, and you know, I the whole panel was talking about collaboration and and how they were able to get that done, and. I was just fascinated by the entire conversation because it's very different, you know, depending on whether you're collaborating with somebody who is uh, an author, you're writing a story together, you're collaborating with them um, as a musician and author or a poet and and a fiction author. But the best thing that Amal said about this whole thing was, you know, when she, somebody asked like, how do you, how do you determine whether somebody is a going to be a good collaborator with you or or what makes for a good collaboration and she said the first thing you need is a body made of light yeah i was just trying to get my head around this fusion dance a fusion dance ain't about your head (laughs) wait you guys are gems you gotta help me out here i need to be able to fuse with rose first you need the gem at the core of your being then you need a body that could turn into light then you need the partner who you trust with that light Metaphorically? Literally. And that's a Steven Universe reference, for those <laughs> of you who do not know. Um, but but that's the, that is what Garnet says is the first step to, to fusion. And I love that metaphor because, not only because I love Steven Universe, but also because it, it works. If you understand the concept of fusion in Steven Universe, mm-hmm. then the, you know, her saying, first you need a body made of light, 
that's exactly, I think, what, what it is, is that you need to have the ability to allow yourself to share so deeply with another person because art is so personal. Mm-hmm. And to be able to collaborate on art means that you need to be so deeply personal with someone else. Um, and I think that that's like, sometimes that just happens because of kismet, like it seemed to do with, with SJ and Kat Valenti. And sometimes it's, it's worked on because you're like, I'm going to pull you into my awesomeness. Yeah. And it's really cool. I mean, it's, I haven't had a lot of amazing collaborations in my life, but when, when things click and it's, it's easy, it's amazing. And when you have to work through the bumps, it's still great because you know that you can get through it. Like it might feel rocky and bad, but you know, like, you know, you can make it click into place. You just have to figure out how to, how to line it up. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that the Suge mentions and we'll play this, um, is talking about how doing that collaboration led to a sort of like expansion of what she felt she was able to do as an artist. It has given me courage to say yes to other folks that have asked for, for something similar from me. It's like, would you, would you be willing to write a song for this? Would you, how do you feel about writing a film score? How do, how would you, how would you like to help us write songs for the pilot of this TV series that we're working on? And just, can we just send you the script and you tell us if you're inspired? That is, that's, that's sort of like chocolate to me. One of my bandmates accuses me of being a wind-up toy. He says, well, you just wind her up and let her go, don't you? Because he sees these ideas just fall out of me. He sees this inspiration just, just come to me. And Kat, uh, Kat Valindy's work has always been at that level of inspiration for me. It's like I have to, I, I say often that I have to walk around with a song-shaped butterfly net in my back pocket. Otherwise, I'm going to miss one because they just fly around all the time. Okay, let's just talk about that imagery for just a second. A song-shaped butterfly net in her back pocket. How know, beautiful right? is that? Oh my that gosh. That is so beautiful. And and yeah, I, that idea that you just have to, you know, be ready for like to, to just capture that idea and and make it into beautiful art. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, again, it's it's all part of like sort of being open to what you know collaboration might you know offer to you. Just being open to things, being open to to different things in your creativity, stuff that you either haven't done before, haven't thought about before. But when that idea comes to you, that butterfly flies by, or somebody else like creates a butterfly in front of you, that they're like, "Look, we can do this together." Being open to that. It does beg the question, I think, and I don't know that this is the show to explore it, but maybe it is. How do you recognize those ideas? Like, I can't tell you how many ideas I've lost, you know, in the shower or driving because I was like, I will remember that. Or or maybe I don't think it's a very great idea. And so I don't capture it. Um, and then I come back later and I'm like, you know, that was actually pretty good, but I can't remember, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember exactly how that went. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's something to explore with somebody, uh, later on. Indeed. But I, I go back to what Suge said in the last episode, she talked about 
you know, having the garden and having it be wild and not pruning back or, or thinking like, oh, that's that's not going to work. That that idea is silly. Um, it, and I guess it it starts with being open to capturing all the ideas that you have, like just getting them somewhere so that you have them so that then later you can go back and be like, oh, okay, like this actually is really great or now I've thought about this more. Um, the way that I do that, and I, I forget sometimes, but I try really hard not to, is um, I have Evernote on my phone and I have a folder in my Evernote for like writing and story ideas and stuff. And so if I'm in a situation where like I can't write it down or it's like a little bit too complicated to type on the tiny keyboard on my phone, I'll just make a voice note um, of of the idea that I have. Um, oftentimes it'll be like snippets actually of you know, prose or dialogue or something along those lines. I also uh, have mentioned in previous episodes that I keep a, a writing journal, a creative journal. If I happen to like be in a place where I can like whip that out and write it in there, I'll do that. Um, I also like, I try to write down my dreams a lot because sometimes there'll be like really like interesting little nuggets in a dream that will end up being that inspiration. Um, and yeah, just revisiting them those those ideas sometimes oh and for the shower i almost forgot so a long time ago and i i cannot remember the name of this person and now i really wish i could but i remember a writer talking about how they have shower crayons that they that they bought specifically so that when they're in the shower in the morning because like you like ideas would come to them in the shower they would write them on the wall but since it's a shower crayon like obviously it'll wash off but like that's how they took care of like having the ideas in the shower and then forgetting them once they got out like they literally brought shower crayons in with them and just have them there and then when they came up with the idea they would write it someplace where it wouldn't wash off immediately so there are also notepads you can get that are waterproof and you just use a graphite pencil um, so you can tear them off and take them with you. The thing that my husband, <laughs> that Justin and I have discovered is if you have just like standard cultured marble um, shower walls like we do, like we don't have tile or anything fancy. It's just like the cheap, relatively cultured marble you can actually write on those with a pencil and erase it really easily too. So that's another thing. Like if you have the right wall, do like a little test patch and make sure it'll come off. But like our shower is just covered in graphite <laughs> from ideas and that kind of thing. Like I try to write on a pad if that's it's something so I need to awesome. take with me, but I'll try, I'll ask Justin if I can take a picture because he's got some like ideas of projects that he's noodling on. So I don't know if I can actually take a picture, but if I can, I'll take a picture and put it in the show notes so that people can see our, our shower wall of doom <laughs> Just That's pencil so awesome. everywhere. It's really bit. neat. And he doodled. I can take a picture of this. He, um, for a while, he had a project where every day he was drawing a heart. And so he made, it was kind of like a mandala type thing where he would draw a layer to a heart. So there's this huge, I don't know, like three by three foot heart on our shower. So I can take a picture of that and put it in the show notes anyway to, to show that you can write on the shower wall with a pencil if you have the right shower wall anyway. That's awesome. I, I enjoy that. <laughs> All right. I'm going to interrupt just for a second. Um, August marks three years since Relay FM began. And sometime between then and now, you first hit play on one of our podcasts. And maybe it was such a long time ago that you're a longstanding listener. Maybe you're like me and made the jump when Relay started three years ago. Or maybe you're new to the Relay FM world. Maybe this is your first episode. Welcome. 
Either way, if you look forward to our shows being released, we would love to have you as a Relay FM member so you can support us in making the shows you love. Relay FM memberships start at $5 a month. And when you sign up, you'll enjoy a monthly behind the scenes newsletter previews of upcoming shows, and access to our members-only podcast in which Stephen Hackett interviews two hosts about a big topic each month. And as an added bonus, we'll be releasing a special episode of Originality in August. And that's going to be exclusive to Relay FM members. When you sign up for membership, you'll also get a link to a special RSS feed, and that's where you'll find our bonus episode along with a lot of other Relay FM extras um, from a lot of other Relay FM shows. What can you expect from Originality's bonus episode? Well, let me just tell you that we are solving the question. We are answering the question, where do ideas come from? And it's not just me and Tempest, although I did write a story for this, my first bit of fiction for the first time in probably a decade that I am going to read to you all. Um, We also have people like Ken Liu, Karen Landsman, Leanna Renee Heber, uh, (laughs) Jason Snell, Brian Hamilton, Dan Warren, David J. Lohr, so many stories from so many amazing people. To make sure you don't miss out on this member show, along with all those other great perks I talked about, support us by heading to relay.fm slash originality and signing up to be a member. Or you can support all the great shows by going to relay.fm slash membership. Last but definitely not least, I want to thank you. Tempest and I thank you because without you, this show and this network would not be possible. Now. Let's get back to the conversation. So before we get to the next part of the uh, interview, the last part that um, I want to play and talk about, I want to play another song. Um, This one is called Firebird's Child. It's from the second CD that goes with the second Orphan's Tales book. It's the last song on there. It's one of my absolute favorite songs, um, probably because uh, this, I saw this song performed and it was really, really powerful. But one of the other things that I, I, I like about this one and all the songs on the Orphan's Tales albums actually is that they show Suja's range. You know, like there's just all sorts of very different songs on there. So I'll we'll play this one and then maybe we'll play like a part of another one. Um, but let's listen to Firebird's Child. Wonders of the water, air and earth are all the same. Gosh, I love that song too. <laughs> I could listen to it all day. And I it's have. It's got such good energy. Mm-hmm. It's, oh my gosh, it's so wonderful. And it's like, that's the last song on the album. That's the last song they they played when they would do these uh, sort of concert readings where they would switch between like Kat reading a section from the book and then Suge playing a song usually that had to do with that section. Um, and, and it was, it's always such like a great way to, to end that night. 
The other thing that I love about Firebird's Child is that the character that this is based on, who comes in um, toward the end of the second book, and she's a girl who was raised by a firebird, and she thought she was a firebird. She's not actually a firebird. And and she becomes very disappointed uh, when she discovers that she's not going to, like, at some point sprout wings and, and be alight with fire. And... I I love that character. I love everything about her story. And that character was actually based on Suge, you know, because uh-huh. as Kat was writing this book, that's when she and Suge, you know, first met and they inspired each other. And so Suge is, you know, like inspired a character in this book, which he then wrote a song about and just did people. How beautiful it's is amazing. that? It's so, that's so cool. So, yeah, I, but. But yeah, just all the she she employs a lot of different types of music in this world, and that's in you know again inspired by the fact that there are a lot of different types of stories being told throughout this book, and I love that like the album and the book both reflect that and both reflect like sort of the range of things that both of these artists can do, both separately and together. This kind of reminds me of. Um... Borderline by Michelle Baker, um, which was nominated for, I don't know, it was the Hugo or the Nebula Best Novel uh, for 2016, 2017, whatever year it is now. Um, but the whole premise of Borderline is it's it's like this fairy tale urban fantasy and people from fairyland give inspiration to people um, from earth. So it's, it's a different dimension and fairy fairy folk can kind of cross this line. And um, every person has kind of their own fairy muse. Um, and like, so C- Steven Spielberg is, is, I can't remember if he was a fairy or, had a fairy or whatever, but like these, these, the whole premise is like these famous people, um, who are known for being creative, uh, are so because they have managed to find their, their fairy match or whatever. It sounds kind of weird describing it, but I, I, I drank the book. Like I just, I loved this book. It was so good. And there's a sequel to it, but that's what I keep thinking about as you're talking about, uh, about, Suge and and Catherine is like it seems like they have that kind of relationship where they inspire each other and help each other grow um and that is a really really beautiful thing and I think it's a really rare thing too at least on this level anyway yeah I I agree it you don't often see people who like just really make each other like better artists just from being around each other. Like, you know, not even just, you know, inspiring her, one person to like write that one song or create that one character. It's like a whole rising together kind of Phoenix Firebird thing. Um, but, you know, the examples that you, you can think of throughout history, like I think Frida Kahlo and what's his butt. Oh, him. His name just flew out of my head completely. But I feel like that was the kind of thing that they maybe had together. Um, I I don't know 100% about this, but that's that's sort of what I hear. It's It's not even that like, oh, you know, he was so great. And then she came along and learned from him. No, it was like 
them together, the the melding of ideas and the pushing each other to to greater heights and more interesting art, you know, that's the kind of thing that they they had together rather than like he was the mentor and she was the student or whatever, which is something that I remember just like reading an article about how people who thought of it that way were absolutely wrong and also dumb. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. I mean, I don't have any feelings about this, but somebody has some feelings. <laughs> um, so one, I'm going to play one complete song for you um, before we get to the last part of of the interview with Suj. This one is called Heresy of the Lost. And the reason why I wanted to play it is because all the words in this one are actually written by Cat Valenti. This is um, a a poem, a prophecy that occurs in the book. And and I like this one because it takes those those words and it just puts them in a context. Like this song sounds like what it would sound like when when the religious people who who have this this prophecy would would sing it 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 basically builds the world in song form the way that Cat Valenti builds the world in in prose form and that's one of the reasons why I really love this one so this one's called Heresy of the Lost Oh, sing of the ship with the mast of leaves and the maiden who stood at her wheel long ago it is said she was drowned until dead and her red ship was split at the keel. But she never went under the old mother's no. She'll sail the blue another day. An orphan will find her, a bear cub will bind her, and the wolf will lead them astray. And hand in hand they'll come whistling home, the maiden, the bear, and the girl in grey, through the shining white foam. The red ship will roam, and the wolf shall lead them astray. And the wolf will lead her astray. Oh my God, her voice. Yeah. That's haunting. That's another reason why I love that song, because it's just her voice, and it's so beautiful. Oh, so beautiful. This, um, I think, is something that you've really done with both the last episode and this episode, Picking Songs, is that you've you've done a good job of uh, showing what range she has. Like there are some artists who always sound the same. It doesn't matter what the song is. It sounds like it's the same song every single time. And these don't, these have such range in not only vocal range, but styles and energy and um, technique. And I am absolutely in awe of her both talent and skill because I don't know that I, I feel like the the talent and skill she is displaying is something that you work for. Um, it's not something that comes naturally, at least if it does, it comes to very few people. Yeah, I agree. And and I, I do think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that she is so open to being collaborative with, a, you know, a lot of different people. Because for some people, 
collaboration, as I said, like pushes you to to greater heights. And, you know, would she necessarily have written a song like Firebird's Child and like Heresy of the Lost and and like, you know, Sing for the Maidenhead without Capilenti's book? Maybe. But, you know, it, she she had the opportunity to like to read that and to think about how how it would sound or how it would work or or what would go with. And and yeah, I, I think that, you know, you because she already has that sort of openness that she, you know, we talked about in the last episode of of meeting with people and going to all the things and, and working at her craft that, you know, allowed that to happen. Um, and I I really wanted to know from her, like, what was the difference between, like, the kind of collaboration that she did with Cafalenti, which is, you know, a, a little on the unusual side, you know, in general, uh, but the kind of collaboration that she does with other musicians, which is more sort of, like, along the lines of, like, what you would expect a, a, a musician to do. So I wanted to hear her talk about that. <laughs> well, I think it's... I don't, I don't have any uh, academical authority whatsoever to make this statement, but I think it's different parts of the brain. And the give and take that I have with, with say, an author who has an existing work that I can devour slowly and then be inspired by is different from being in a room with people who are improvising with me and we all have our instruments just in that very moment. But I, I love both of them equally. And I am, I make space for both kinds to happen in my life as often as possible. And sometimes I get the chance to work with authors and speakers in an improvisational way on stage in the moment at the same time and un- unscripted. And that is, that is a whole, that is a, a yet a third level of sort of uh, collaborative space that is free of competition. And there's so many ways to encourage each other and inspire each other and work and just make the synergy just spin all the way up to the ceiling and back down again. And I, I love them all. They are the reason that I get up in the morning. Absolutely. I, that is the, um, the second time that she had talked about collaboration without competition. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to, to pull out that thread a little bit because, yeah, I feel like in a lot of spaces, especially with people who aren't as like fully set within themselves or are fully confident of their talent that can come into play. Like this is one of the things that I was sort of hinting at before where, you know, if you, if you want to be part of a group of other people who are creative in the same way you are, but you also have to watch out for whether or not they're like helping you and inspiring you and encouraging you in an actual way and not in like some, you know, snipey kind of jealous way. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's endemic that there has to be sort of a competition jealousy, but I think that it's important that she's emphasized non-competition a couple of Mm -hmm. times because probably because like that is a thing that comes up maybe too much in life in general. And so having spaces where that's not the primary way that people are thinking about, you know, inspiration and collaboration and working together is, is very important. Yeah. And I think it's one of those, it's hard, right? Because collaboration requires a level of maturity. I think that, that is timed such that we don't necessarily learn it in school, uh, at least, you know, like in the U S 
or it's like until you're 18. I feel like that there's probably a level of brain development in that that takes until maybe your mid 20s to kind of nail down if you ever get to that point. I could be completely wrong here, but I'm thinking about like what I know about critical thinking skills and brain development and 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 that kind of thing. And um it's hard. You know, it's hard. I do a summer camp. I do a one week camp with uh with kids entering the eighth and ninth grades and one of the things that we try to emphasize where it's app development and it's like this is not a competition like we put you in teams but they're not competitive teams you're not competing against this other person you're not competing within the group to see who can draw the best like i don't know mermaid or uh superhero or whatever it's not about that it's about working together to create something together that you're proud of that is great. And it's so hard. It's so difficult. So often we fall back into those patterns of, oh no, well, like I've got to do better. Or I I feel like part of what I struggle with, with kind of anxiety and not clinical depression, but, but definite downswings in my mood come from comparing myself to others and how much better they are. And I'm like, I'm pitting myself against people in this one-sided competition that makes zero sense at all. I feel you. One of the things that I have to stop myself from thinking all the time is, man, Samuel Delaney has written like, you know, a million books by the time he was my age and I mm-hmm. have not published one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, you not getting into that mindset is super duper helpful. And it's more useful to you as a creative person to be able to look at somebody whose work is admirable in some way and to be like, oh, like how did they get there? Like, you know, really analyze and study and ask them, you know, talk to them about their creative process or, or, you know, where, where they were, because again, it's like, it's so, it's really so very personal. Creativity is just, is so personal. And it comes from like, really, you know, good art comes from really deep within you. So if you are constantly like looking outside and not looking inside, that's a problem. Yep. Um, and and being open to to like having your body made of light and fusing with another person until you become a giant woman, you know, <laughs> it's it's a good thing. All I wanna do, I know. see you turn into a giant woman. Yep, a giant woman. Yeah, <laughs> so amazing. Oh Lord, cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I love Steven Universe so much. I love Steven Universe so much. Can we get Rebecca Sugar on here? Is there any possible way we can make that happen? I'm going to try. Yeah, because if we can get Rebecca Sugar on here, holy smokes. Anyway, yeah, I... I don't know. I don't know. Collaboration is hard. Collaboration is hard. Partnerships are hard, whether they're creative or not creative. I mean, how many bands split up? How many marriages and relationships, like romantic relationships, split up? How many uh, family fishers are there, right? Like relationships, partnerships are really, really, really difficult. And and I'm going to go back to practice, like practice communicating 
have hard conversations, talk to each other about what went wrong in an interaction. It's so uncomfortable. I am so bad at doing it. Justin tries to do this. If we get in arguments, he's like, okay, well, what went wrong? And I was like, well, you were just wrong. You know, I'm so bad at it. But Reasons. Right? (laughs) Why do you have to be so wrong? And usually it's because he's right, but... That's another conversation entirely. But yeah, I, I feel like I feel like everything, almost everything goes back to practice and communication when you're when you're collaborating or when you're, you know, when you're doing anything with anyone else, whether it's cleaning the house or you're creating book inspired sea shanties, you know? Yeah. The other thing that I've also learned in meeting other people at conventions or or on the internet or whatnot is that even though sometimes it seems like another person who's doing some sort of creative thing that either you're very interested in or, or it's similar to your creative thing or whatever, and they seem like so good at it and like they're some sort of person on a pedestal who's so amazing and they would never look at you, this peon who's lower than the dirt on their feet, lower, um, that... If you feel that strongly about a person or their art and you reach out to them, even if just to say, I feel really strongly about you and your art, and and if you have the chance to maybe meet them in a convention setting or or have some sort of dialogue with them on the internet, just know that not everybody is a person on a pedestal like a, a Mount Olympus sort of looking down at everybody else and going, yes, worship me. You know, just... <laughs> Artists are just people. Most people aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Artists are just people. And I have met some of the most wonderful, supportive people who I actually feel like one day when I'm like ready to collaborate, I could collaborate with them by simply just saying to them, by the way, I just really love what you do. Um, everything, you know, that you write or, or all the music that that you put out there or whatever it is, I just love it so much. And I would love to hear more, read more, talk to you if you have, you know, the the bandwidth for talking about things. Um, because a lot of times people are totally willing to do that, especially if, you know, you say, I'm also a an author and and I enjoy authory things. <laughs> I don't know what that means. But at any rate, all I'm saying is, like, talk to people about how much you like their stuff because that could lead to other things. It could lead to greatness or it could lead to just, like, a really good supportive friendship. Yeah, some some of the best friends, the most supportive friends I have right now, and we don't collaborate on a lot. I guess we kind of do. I don't know. It's hard. What is collaboration? Um, But... Some of the most supportive friends I have are people that I looked up to for years and I didn't know them. They didn't know me. Um, but now they're they're good friends. Like they're people I, I talk to about problems I'm having. How do I solve this? What would you suggest? How do you how do you do the thing that you do? Um, and it's just because, you know, I don't know. They I said hi to them and and they gave me their time and now we're friends and it's amazing. It's so cool that that has happened. And sometimes I, I think about it and I'm like, wow, this, this is really weird. Like Aline from 2010 wouldn't think that she would be friends with, you know, so-and-so and it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Man, 2000 me 
would be screaming at some of the people that I have been able to meet and talk to and actually form friendships with just because she would be like, you can't talk to them. Right. They're so far away. Mm-hmm. No, they're, they're really just on the internet. They're on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter is, is such a double-edged sword. Indeed. So I'm curious to know, Tempest, have you, have you had collaborations that worked really well and why do you think they worked really well? I have not collaborated with anyone yet, but I'm sort of moving in the direction of attempting to seek out a person who might be (laughs) great to collaborate with. Um, For one thing, I have some ideas for things that I know I can't pull off by myself. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Serial Box. It is um, a company that puts out uh, prose, you know, fiction in serialized format um, and they basically think of themselves as being kind of like, you know, a Netflix for stories where the whole mm-hmm. idea is like to, to put things out in episodes and there's, you know, people who write each episode, which are novellas. Um, there's a showrunner who like makes sure that the, the plot of everything, you know, all goes together. Um, and, and it's like, it's a great concept, you know, sort of bringing like the idea of serialized fiction into, you know, what, how we think of serialization in the modern world. So I have um, a story idea that I think would go really well in the serial box format and not even necessarily because of the serial nature of it, but because the idea that I have for the world that I want to build, I don't think that I have enough world building knowledge in order to make it all work. But I feel like if I could get like five different people to do it with me, that together we could like make this world seem real with mm-hmm. like all of their different cultural perspectives. Um, so yeah, I, I think that if that's going to be, if I'm going to be collaborating, that's probably going to be the first thing I collaborate doing. Um, because I just, I know that what I really want is, you know, other people's understanding of different cultures. That's what I need to, to make this world really awesome. I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited with everything you do. You know, as you were talking, I was trying to think. um, I have not taken a lot of creative risks. Uh, That's something that I'm working on. Um, I've taken business risks. I've taken personal risks. But I haven't taken a lot of creative risks. And I think that I'm getting to a point where um, I I can do that uh, both from like a a bandwidth, uh, like my own energy standpoint, and also from, you know, a a network of support and a network of knowing people standpoint. Um, But I don't have any ideas for what that might look like. But I will say that I think podcasting honestly has been a huge collaborative effort, specifically with like less than or equal and originality, because there's been a lot of like... Uh, Justin has edited both shows. I've tried. I hate audio editing with with a very fiery passion. I don't like it. I'm not invested enough in it to be good at it. And he does such an amazing job. But there is a lot of um, communication that has to happen with that behind the scenes from um, like, is this edit okay? What do you think of the the audio here? How do you think that I, I cut that? Is that all right? And from him offering feedback back to me and now to us, Tempest, uh, because, you know, there 
there are processes that kind of always need to get better, but were it not for him, the show wouldn't exist. And I think that that is, that is kind of a cornerstone of collaboration or frankly, if it weren't for you, I would not do this show on my own. I would not do just Justin and me. I did a podcast where it was just me and him and it was really, really, really hard to do. And so, you know, I, I, I think of you as a collaborator because, um, you know, it wouldn't exist without you. And there's a lot of communication that happens behind the scenes about when we'll record and who do we want to have and what are our show ideas and how are we going to talk about a thing and, um, and that kind of thing. And so, um, I'm not super good at it. I'm going to be honest, but I, I am getting better and that's a good thing. Yeah. And I, you know, the same, I couldn't do the show without you. I, I have a podcast that I'm doing on my own. How long has it been since I updated that podcast? Let's not talk about it. And I also don't like audio editing. That's one of the main reasons why yeah. the podcast is on hiatus for a really long time. Audio editing is hard, hard, yeah. hard, hard work. But I will say that, like, you know, for a long time, I had the idea for that podcast, The Right Gear, but didn't really, like, move forward on it. It wasn't until I was invited to be on the Gemcast and we collaborated on that with Alex Knight that I even was able to conceive of doing a podcast on my own. And so, you know, that really only came about because, you know, of collaboration. So I've, I have collaborated in the realm of podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, not yet in the, the realm of fiction, but the, the podcast collaborations have been very awesome for me. Yeah. I hope for other and- people too. Major props to Alex, too, because the gym cast was really his thing. And he was like, who who wants to do this? And I was like, I, I can do it. And um, and then we were like, we need someone else to kind of be here, too, because otherwise it's going to be just Alex and me talking. And, uh, and people were like, Tempest needs to do it. And I'd never I don't think I'd even heard of you. <laughs> we were like, sure, we'll do a podcast with her. Um and Alex has built a network of shows, uh, which, you know, it started with the Jim cast and the impromptu two shows that he was doing already and is now like, I don't even know, there are like f- five to seven shows on that w- network now. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of them. It's awesome. So, yes. Yeah. You should listen to all of them. <laughs> well, I think that's it for our topic of collaboration today. Um all of the links to Suj are going to be in the show notes as always, um, but you can find her website. You can find her her stuff on uh, the Google Play Store, Apple Music, everywhere. Find them. CD Baby, Bandcamp, <laughs> all the places. Everywhere digital music is sold. I don't know about literally everywhere, but a lot of places. Um, but she links to all of that, and I will I will link to her stuff um, in the show notes. Just go to sjtucker.com. Mm-hmm. .com. <laughs> and I have been one of your hosts, Aline Sims. You can find me on Twitter at Aline. That's A-L-E-E-N. You can find Tempest at tiny tempest on twitter uh you can find the show at originality fm um or you can go to relay.fm slash originality to find this show all of our show notes all of our descriptions all that stuff and you can also find other fine shows there uh until next time thanks for listening and and we're gonna we're gonna end this show with one last song uh from suge 
she not only collaborated with Kat Valenti on The Orphan's Tales, but also the book that came after that duology, Palimpsest, and then the book that came after that, and I believe the book that came after that. So you're, you're going to be able to find all of it. But this uh, song um, called The Girl with the Lion's Tale, this is a song from the album that she did for Palimpsest, and I thought it would be a, a nice way to send us out. me back the girl I was, the beast I used to be, shedding the skin of this creature. You were never cage enough to keep the light inside, deny me the sky and I'm running. A lion must keep something back for her own, if she's been led to live. I'd sooner run than waste away at home. Back my broken heart, the dress I wore in Ostia Everything you took away and so self-replaced Take away your holiness, your pleading and your crying eyes Bring me back the girl I